But we are going to talk about this. This week, we had a double parsha. Matot, Masay. And in Masay, we're going to focus today. Masay means journeys. I will say this. Batya said something about eating about 1230. Mm. So Masay is actually the last book of the book of Numbers. And as Steve read earlier, the first two verses go like this. These are the journeys of B'nai Israel when they came out of Egypt by their divisions under the hand of Moshe and Aharon. Moshe recorded the stages of their journeys at Adonai's command. These then are the, their journeys by stages. I don't know how many of you realized while Steve was reading it and while I just read it from another translation. Those first two verses seem like they keep repeating themselves. Just two verses and we keep hearing about these are the stages of the journey. Well, it's important that we know what Moshe is writing down here. So I'm going to be a little bit redundant myself and say, start off by saying this parasha is a summary of the journeys or what's often called wanderings of the Israelites. And within it, it also has some strong warnings that apply not just to the, the generation that was entering the land of Israel at that time, but the generations to come, including all of those that read it today. That means us. Chapter 33 The focus is on that second generation, the ones that would inherit the land of Israel. Because if you recall, because of disobedience and all the the grumblings and mumblings, and we want to go back to Egypt, that generation was told, you will not inherit the land. Which is one reason why they had to stay out there journeying or wandering. They had to wait for that generation to die off. So this, this is written to the second generation. And, like I and Moshe said before, it serves as a summary of those wanderings in the wilderness. Now, there are 42 places that are mentioned in this parasha where the people encamped. I am going to name all 42 places. I'm not going to read all the verses involved. But between verses 5 and 48, here's a summary. They journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkot, to Etam to Pi-Hahirot, to Marah, to Elim, to the Sea of Reeds, to the wilderness of Sin, to Dovkah, to Alush, to Rephidim, to the Sinai wilderness, to Kibroth Ta'ava, to Hazarot, to Rigmah, to Ramon Perez, to Libna, to Risa, to Kehelah, to Mount Sefer, to Haradah, to Machelot, to Tahat, to Terah, to Mikhan, to Hashmonah, to Moserot, to Benei Yakan, to Hor Hagidgad, to Yobat, to Abronah, to Ezon Egeber, to Kadesh, to Mount Hor, to Zamonah, to Punon, to Obot, to Iye Abarim, to Gibon Gad, to Almon Diblatayim, to the mountains of Abarim, to the plains of Moab. Those were the 42 encampments, which actually 
verses 5 through 48, has caused some of the commentators, and maybe even some of you, to question, you know, what is this, some kind of travel log? That we need the name of every campsite? Let me put it to you this way. Bought you were, and I took a week off, as you know. And I have some home movies I want to show you. No? See? But, all kidding aside, the ancient and medieval rabbis, they said, they looked at it like this. They think it, they say it was self-evident that the Torah teaches theological truth. They also said, not just that, but it's not merely the historical data. So they say, if the Torah is telling us first they camped here, then they camped there, and then they camped over here, and so on and so on to 42 encampments, there really must be a theological purpose in doing so. One perspective comes from Maimonides, known as Ramban, who you've heard me quote before. He explains that the Torah goes into great length to tell us every place the Israelites camped because it's part of the larger narrative of God's greatness and mercy. He goes on to say, in fact, even with all the miracles which the Torah describes from the splitting of the sea to the giving of the Torah and all the rest, the most amazing miracle of all is that the Israelite nation survived on its 40-year journey with manna falling every day and people moving along from one point to the next for an entire generation. He says that was the miracle. So for Ramban, the campsites are named because knowing the details of the journey helps us to be grateful to God for the entire miraculous history of our people, which is more amazing than any individual or particular piece of it. The overview gives us the miracle, gives us the entire story. So, And, of course, what's true for a people group is also true for the individual. See if you fit into these categories with all the ups and downs, the detours, agony, triumphs, challenges, successes, failures, joys, and sorrows. I think I, it's about everybody. But all those things that life can bring, the journey from one point to the other, can be the greatest and most amazing gift of all. Not the things, but what happened in between. All the blessings that came in between. Just the fact that we don't have to get stuck in one campsite for the whole life, and we get to move on, and continue, and they went 42 places. That's amazing. And we're always capable, actually, of greater growth and getting closer to reaching our full spiritual potential when we recognize the blessings and not get caught up in those circumstances, all the negative things. And then again, there's the highs and there's the lows. But ultimately, we focus on what is God doing with us? Where does he have us going? So reflecting on the journey in its entirety actually, those are the things that miracles produce. Everything that God is doing 
in between, before and after, and only when we open up our hearts to feel them and receive them do we recognize that growth. I mean, I've been there. I'm sure some of you have, where you get so down, you get so... I, I, I hesitate using the word depressed because that's been so misused in so many ways by so many people that people are misdiagnosed as being depressed. But I've been in those situations where I think, this, you know, there's, no, there can't, there's nothing better. And I started dwelling on you know, all the bad things that have happened, and I'm just expecting more bad things. I'm like the, I forget the, guy, the kid's name in, in Peanuts, always had a cloud over his head. And I've been there. I've been there. And I'm sure some of you have as well, if not everybody, to some extent. It's the woe is me attitude. But what happened before that and what happened after that really is the beautiful thing. What it got, how did I get here? So if I, if I was on this high over here, now I'm on this low, that means I know what the highs are. But sometimes the lows tend to make you forget. So the bigger picture, the large snapshot, is what God's showing us here. Down in verse Beginning verse 50, Adonai spoke to Moshe along the Jordan in the plains of Moab across from Jericho, saying, Speak to B'nai Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you must drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. You must destroy all their idols and cast images and demolish their high places. You will take possession of the land so you will live, you will settle in it. Because I have given it to you to possess. You are to divide the land by lot according to your families. To the large, make the inheritance larger. To the small, make their inheritance smaller. Whatever comes out of the lot will be theirs. You are to distribute the inheritance according to your ancestral tribes. So, like times past, and times to come even, the Lord commanded the new generation to completely destroy the inhabitants of the land, in this case the Canaanites. They were supposed to destroy every religious site and item that they came across and completely take over the land. I look at this picture. If I'm supposed to completely take over something, there can't be anything in my way, meaning no people, no things. Well, as we know, a little bit of stubbornness Existed even then. So they were divided by tribe and then further subdivided by their families. It also, this passage has a warning from Adonai. Beginning at verse 55, he says, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, whoever you allow to remain will become to you barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land in which you will be living. Then, what I intended to do to them, I will do to you. I don't think he could have been any more clear. Get rid of all of them. Leave none of them because they're going to be a thorn in your side. They're going to cause you trouble. And at the end, I'm going to do to you what I said I was going to do to them. Could he be any more clear than that? 
a very strong warning that he gives them. They're going to cause problems. They did cause problems, as we know. We look at the history of the people. Chapter 34 then goes on to describe the boundaries for the land of Israel and establishes the chiefs for each tribe. In chapter 35, the Lord introduces the cities of refuge. And he has commandments for that. The Lord commanded his people to establish six cities of refuge for those who had unintentionally killed a person. These cities were to be a safe place for them to live until they could be brought to trial and served as protection from family members seeking revenge because the family was allowed to take retribution against the loss of their family member. But we're talking here about unintentional. It was an accident. There was no malice involved. Because verse 30 says, Everyone killing anyone shall be put to death as a murderer only. As a murderer, only on the testimony of more than one witness. No one is to be put to death on the testimony of one witness. I'm glad he said that, because how many of you have ever had people that you might consider your enemy? And they bring, it can bring an accusation against you by themselves, and if that could be enough to have you put to death, because it was just one person who just doesn't like you or hates you, despises you, whatever, wants what you have. The Lord said you can't do that. One person is not enough to put someone to death. And verse 31 says, you're not to accept ransom for the life of a murderer. He deserves to die, and he is to die. So no amount of money could absolve a murderer. Now, in an accidental death, it's the same thing. You can't buy your way out of that either, even though it was accidental. But you could have to wait out the term of the high priest. Verse 32 says, Do not receive a ransom for one who has fled to his city of refuge, allowing him to return to his land before the Kohen, the Kohen Gadol's death. So after the death of the high priest that was in charge at that time, they could come back. But it's interesting, the next few verses, he talks about the land of Israel itself was considered to be tainted. By the blood. And eventually, once that murderer is executed, then the land was atoned for. Verse 33 and 34 says, You are not to pollute the land in which you are. Blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for land polluted by bloodshed except by the blood of the one who sheds it. You are not to defile the land where you live, where I dwell, for I dwell among B'nai Israel. So the Lord is commanding them not to defile the land with the shedding of blood. And it's the land he gave them. But more than that, it's where he is. He's going to dwell there with them. So the land is holy by virtue of the fact that he has chosen to live there. So the land cannot be soiled and perverted by bloodshed without being redeemed by bloodshed. Chapter 36 
concludes the book of Numbers. And, and there's an interesting thing that happens here. How many read the Parsha? Okay, so most of you know what happens. There were, there were sisters of a particular tribal leader. He had died. And there's no other man that can assume the inheritance within that tribe. So they're concerned, you know, but if, I, if we marry outside of our tribe, then we're no longer part of the tribe. Because the men that we would marry outside aren't part of this tribe. They don't get the inheritance. So they went to Moshe. And they said, well, how, do we, how do you handle this? You're in charge. Talk to the Lord. Because we don't want to lose everything we have just because he's gone. We should still have an inheritance. So in verse 6, the word of the Lord came to Moshe and allowed them to marry whoever they wanted as long as it was within their own tribe so they could retain their inheritance. So you could say the book of Numbers ends on a high note. It's a positive note. Much like today with godly women seeking and obeying the word and will of God. I mean, I, I, gave, I, I told you my testimony a few weeks ago. If it weren't for this godly woman, maybe God would have found someone else. Who knows? But I'm grateful that he sent her that I could be his child today and redeemed. Verse 13 wraps it up by saying, These are the mitzvot and judgments that Adonai gave by Moshe's hand to B'nai Israel on the plains of Moab at Jericho along the Jordan. So Massey, journey, journeys. That's actually a great name for the entire book of Numbers. And that one name actually summarizes what the book of Numbers was about. The first parasha of the book, the people were on a high note. Everything was going well. But why was that? Because they were following the commands of the Lord. But the record soon took a turn for the worse. Things started going downhill. We, saw, we see several examples of the senior, sinful behavior of the children of Israel. One in particular was the sin of unbelief of that generation that left Egypt. It was so great, as I said before, they were condemned to die in the wilderness. They would not enter the promised land. That's how bad they were. In chapter 33, you'll notice as Moshe is summarizing the travels, the journeys, the wanderings, he doesn't mention the negative stuff that happened all the way through from chapter 1 through chapter 32. He doesn't mention the bad stuff. And if you were to read just chapter 33, you would think that the, the journey went extremely well. No problems. Everybody followed the Lord, did what he said. Some, and some of the rabbis have said, that's probably something that Moshe did intentionally. Because the sins of the previous generation, as they say it, were not being held against this next generation. So why bring it up? They had an opportunity to succeed where their fathers had failed. So the rabbis say he instructed them 
And we read that he instructed them to not repeat the mistakes of their fathers. Now, I don't know about you, but I watch a lot of dramatic TV shows. And if you do, you may be like I am. I extremely dislike, you could even say, hate cliffhanger season finales. I do not want to wait till next season to find out what happened. What's even worse is some of those shows get canceled during the hiatus and what happened will never be known because it ended on a cliffhanger. That's one reason why I tend to record the season finale and not watch it until the new season comes out because I want to connect the two. I don't want that cliffhanger to stand in my way. Well, at the end of the book of Numbers, we have a kind of a cliffhanger of sorts. It makes us wonder, what happened next? They went in. We know from some of the things we read that they do not drive out all the people from the land. They do not destroy the idols. We know that. And we could read some of the rest of the books of, the, of history, and, uh, or, we, or we could turn to a, a different summary. And that summary is one that the Lord himself gives us in our Haftarah portion, Jeremiah chapter 2. It's not a recording of the physical movement, but it is a spiritual assessment of where they went from there. In the second chapter, second chapter of Jeremiah, the Lord actually brings an indictment against his people in the land that he's given them over a variety of sins. Go figure, they're still sinning. Many generations removed from Moshe. Okay? This, this is years and years later. The people have not Remove the Canaanites and other people from the land. Well, what's taking you so long? It should have happened then. And it hasn't happened yet. But worse than that, not only did they not get rid of them and get rid of their idols and all of that, guess what? They imitated their practices. And the Lord is getting ready to make good on his word to send them into exile. These verses actually are quite uh, a, a scathing condemnation by God. He says, like Moshe had before, that the generation from Egypt decided to abandon the Lord and follow their own ways. Verse 5 says, What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They walked after worthless things, becoming worthless themselves. Then he turns to the generations that came after and says that from the priesthood to the scholars to the shepherds, they have all departed from him and worshipped the false gods of the foreign nations. So it's not bad enough they didn't clear the land out like they were supposed to, but they started adopting what the Canaanites did. Instead of causing the Canaanites to do what they are supposed to do. And in the in, the, in Jeremiah, the Lord 
recounts in detail the shameful spiritual corruption of his people. He compares them to whores and slaves. From, I don't know about you, but for me, this is actually a difficult chapter to read. The Lord promises that judgment is coming, which we know comes in the form of a 70-year exile. Now, you think 40 years wandering or journeying through the wilderness was bad. It's 40, 40 years is easy compared to 70 years now in exile. But that's what happened. And when I, when I read these passages, I, I'm just amazed at how consistently stubborn and sinful mankind is. Even when they have the clearest of warnings from Adonai himself, he says what's going to happen. What do they think? He's not going to live, live up to his word? It's not like they didn't get warned of what the consequences would be. But it, besides, despite knowing in advance the consequences for disobedience and having historical record of what the Lord has done in the past, he's always fulfilled his word and he always will, but besides all of that, they still continued in this repetitive cycle of sin. It's a collective journey from generation to generation to generation. The sins that condemned our people to the exile that Jeremiah talks about here, guess what? They're the same sins of today. Namely, turning away from God and to false idols. Today, the day we're living in now, there are still people who are in the darkness of this world, and they're on a journey, all right? And their journey is a final destination of horrendous judgment. Not an exile from the land that God dwells in, but from the very presence of the Lord that they're being exiled from. But there's good news. God is good. And God is gracious. He's provided a way for all of us to stay on a good and right path. To walk forward on a journey whose ultimate destination is his glorious kingdom. Where he has chosen to dwell. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live anywhere but where he is. I want to be there. Wherever he is, wherever he chooses, I want to be there. I don't want to be on the outside looking in. The cycle of sin has been broken by God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah Yeshua. Just like he rescued his people from physical slavery in Egypt, through the shedding of his blood, we are rescued from spiritual slavery, from that cycle of sin that continues from generation to generation. Someone's got to break that cycle. He broke it. Where are we going to walk? We're going to walk on that other side, or we're going to walk into the cycle that he created when he broke the cycle of sin. In the light of the Torah and Haftorah portions, there are some important questions we need to ask. Not limited to these three. 
Number one, what journey are you on and what way are you following? Number two, have you turned away from the Lord? And number three, are you worshiping false gods or idols? These really are questions we need to ask ourselves. You know, those little things that we don't think about sometimes, if it's taking your concentration, your focus, your dedication away from the Lord, could that be an idol? Is it bringing glory to God? Maybe it's an idol. Your idol. And maybe your idol is not the same idol I have. But we need to examine ourselves to determine, are we walking on the right path? Have we chosen to accept that Yeshua has broken the cycle of sin for us as individuals? If we're not on the right path or not on the right journey, we need to decide right now to take his warnings to heart. Now, our Haftarah portion, actually this week, ends on a positive note. Jeremiah chapter 4 says, If you will return, O Israel, to me, declares Adonai, if you will put your detestable things out of my sight, then you will not waver. You will swear as Adonai lives, in truth, in justice, and in righteousness. The nations will bless themselves in him, and in him they will glory. I like that. He says we can come back. He's calling us back. He gives us an invitation to return. But it's got to be a sincere return. Setting aside all those idols, all those things that are distracting, all those things that are not pleasing to him, all those things that we do that take us away from him. And we need to become, once again, loyal to him. He's calling all of us to a right relationship with him through Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua himself taught in Matthew chapter 7, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad, that leads to destruction. And those who enter through it are many. How narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I don't know about you. I want to be one of those few. I don't want to be one of the many. I don't want to go through that broad gate that's easy to get into. If I have to have difficulties to get into that narrow gate, deliver me from my, the difficulties, Lord, and help me get through that narrow gate. And Rob Shaul puts it like this in Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my loved ones. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be, known, be made known to God. And the shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Messiah Yeshua. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any virtue and if there is anything worthy of praise, 
dwell on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, put these things into practice, and the God of Shalom will be with you. It's my prayer that every one of us walks down that narrow road, returning, if we strayed, on a journey whose ultimate destination is one of joy and peace that is beyond all understanding. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we do thank you and we bless you that you've made provision for us to return to you when we strayed. You've given us your word to direct our paths, Lord. You've given us the points that we need to visit along our journey. You've given us the ability through the Ruach HaKodesh to reach those destinations, still walking in your grace and your love and your faithfulness, still walking in the hope of your kingdom, still walking, still in our, on our journey to reach our final destination, which is life eternal with you. We thank you, Lord, that you do give us that opportunity to turn around when we go the wrong way. We thank you that you, do, you have provided that way through Messiah Yeshua, that we can now come to you knowing that our sins are forgiven. That we can come to you knowing that you are with us, that you have never left us, you've never forsaken us. I pray, Lord, that we would break that cycle of unbelief, We would break that cycle of the total disregard for what you have said we should do. Let us not be like the children of Israel were here, where they just didn't listen to what you said, or they listened half-heartedly to what you said, that they didn't do all that you told them to do. Let us break that cycle today. Let us walk truly and fully in your commands that we can find ourselves blameless in your sight. Thank you, Lord, for you are good. Your mercy endures to all generations. Bless you, Lord, in Yeshua's name.